Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. a lad. I don't know exactly how old, 18, maybe even 12. Our family was going to a church near our home. And uh, my daddy was the uh, Sunday school superintendent at that time. I remember when it happened, the uh, quarterlies came in. Before that time, it had always been biblical. And uh, it didn't mean anything to me. It didn't register, but Daddy saw it. There were some Bible references, verses quoted, and it said, RSV. RSV. And uh, I learned soon that was not KJV. <laughs> Amen. Revised Standard Version. And uh, Daddy didn't like it. Amen. Thank God. And he consulted the pastor and the leadership, and they weren't going to do anything about it. And so Daddy moved us down the road Amen. to a little old Bible-believing church that did stick with the KJV. Amen. Amen. I'm not interested in any Bible that changes uh, virgin to young woman, sure. Amen. as they do in Isaiah 714 could be a big difference there. Psalm 110 in the Word of God. I appreciate what you said, preacher, Amen. about our old Bible. Amen. Precious old Bible. We learned some new things in Psalm 110 about our Savior. Of course, he hadn't been born yet, had he? When David wrote these words, David wrote them about 10 centuries. That's a long time. Yes, sir. Nobody in here a century old. So I'm getting close, I guess. <laughs> Nobody here a century old. 10 centuries. And yet we learn some things about our Savior. Verse 1, for example. The Lord, that's God the Father, said unto my Lord, that's God the Son. That's Jesus. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. How many of y'all believe God's on the throne today? Amen. Amen. So if God on the throne said to Jesus, sit on my right hand, we have just learned, I hope I get an amen, Jesus is a king. He is co-reigning with his father. Sit on my right hand. In verse 4 of the same psalm, our text, Psalm 110, the Lord is sworn, still God the Father, and he will not repent. Thou art a priest forever. Verse 1, I learn he's a king. Verse 4, I learn he's a priest. Right. Amen. You couldn't do that in the Old Testament. 
If you were a king, you couldn't be a priest. In fact, they come from two different tribes. The kings of Judah came out of the, the tribe of, well, the family of David, but the tribe of Judah. And the priests, not a priest came from, they came from Levi, the tribe of Levi. But in God the Son and the Messiah and our Savior, there is joined together king and priest in one man. We learned that. Psalm 110 is the psalm, I have I, not seen a commentary yet that believes Jesus is in view, but it calls it a psalm of exaltation. Jesus is being exalted. But I want to show you something. I only learned it this week. How can you study the Bible this long and still be learning things? That's how deep the book is. Amen. Psalm 109. Psalm 110 is the psalm of his exaltation. Preacher, I'll declare Psalm 109 is the psalm of his humiliation. It's the trajectory of Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's Psalm 109. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him. That's Psalm 110. Give him a name that is above every name. And uh, I want to just for a minute or two look at 109. Preacher, I'll take your word for it. It is a psalm of his humiliation, but could you say something there? Look at verse 2, Psalm 109, verse 2. It's a messianic psalm, but it's an imprecatory psalm. That's more than we're going to go into. Verse 2. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. That's what happened to Jesus. Right. When he was arrested, tried. They compassed me about with words of hatred, and they fought against me without a cause. Look at verse 5. They have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Jesus and his humiliation. And the rest of the psalm, Jesus is going to judge the rebels and the enemies who are, and they're doing it today, railing against God, rebelling against God. Psalm 2, all over it. Psalm 109, Jesus in his humiliation. Psalm 110, Jesus in his exaltation. But i got to show you a verse. It's <laughs> partly why I brought this up. It is Psalm 109. Verse number 4. Psalm 109, verse number 4. Now it's good that the preacher prefaced the service this morning with those remarks about the beautiful King James Bible. We're all on the same page there. But the King James translators were honest enough did you know there are some, is this word too strong? I hope not. Did you know there are some perverts who are involved in the translations of some of these 
so-called newer Bibles, morally defunct. The King James translators to the last man were brilliant, brilliant scholars in their given field, Hebrew or Greek. And they were honest enough to say, as we translate, we might occasionally add a word to give clarity. Y'all listen to me. There's a big jump between Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, and English. They don't, they don't talk like we do. Word order, among other things. And so the King James translators came up with a brilliant idea. If we've got to supply a word for clarity, we will put that word in italics. Yes, sir. That little thing, slightly type. Look at Psalm 109, verse 4. For my love, Jesus said, all I've done is love them. They are my adversaries. I loved them. They have hated me. But, but, and here's where it gets interesting to me. I give myself unto prayer. Are y'all reading it with me? I give myself to prayer. Somebody make an observation about the words give myself unto. They're right. Wouldn't change them for anything, but they are in italics. Let me tell you what the Hebrew text says. They've handled it well. I holler amen. He did give himself unto prayer. Luke's gospel especially highlights his prayer life. But the Hebrew there, well, I'm glad they did what they did. Wouldn't make any sense, would it? But I, prayer. But I, prayer. But I, it's our Lord, prayer. And a rule of grammar that I, I don't know any time it's valid. When you get I and prayer and the verb must be supplied, it will always come. I am prayer. Jesus says in this verse, I give myself unto prayer, but he also says, I am prayer. Think of that in conjunction with our Lord sitting at God's right hand, interceding for you and me. He is not only praying for me, interceding for me, blessing me, asking God to give me, strengthen me when I am being sifted of the devil. He is, I hope I get an amen, he is prayer amen. personified. It is remarkable that John's gospel, except for chapter 17, does not present Jesus praying anytime and anywhere. Have you noticed that, preacher? <laughs> Luke's got him praying constantly. Mark 135, and he, rising a great while before day, went to a mountain apart to pray. He's always praying. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew gives us the Lord's Prayer, what we call it. But in John, 
No record of his praying except chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. I'm probably chasing a rabbit, but it'll have some meat on it, I think, if we can catch it. Matthew presents him as king, I need an amen, and kings need to pray. Mark presents him as the servant, and servants do need to pray. Luke presents him as the perfect man, and men do need to pray. John presents him as God, hope I get an amen, and God don't need to pray. I am prayer. A psalm of his humiliation followed by a psalm of his exaltation. Are y'all okay this morning? Everything I'm saying is designed to lift up my Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're ready for verse 4. I know I said some things about verse 4 last night, but it is in our purview to look at verses 4 through 7 this morning and uh, to do so in a, in a timely fashion. We're going to glimpse, we're going to look at the, I think we're going to look at, Lord willing, we're going to look at what Jesus is doing for us now, right now. Then we're going to look at some things Jesus is going to do in the future. The verbs in this paragraph, preacher, I double checked this morning. The verbs in this paragraph, Hebrew, they're perfects. A perfect verb in Hebrew indicates completed action. Completed action. And yet these things haven't happened yet. They are yet in the future. I need an amen here. But in God's eyes, they're as good as done. They're as good as done. And that's why he has framed them in the perfect sense of timing in Hebrew. Verse, verse number four, the Lord is sworn. Now I talked about that last night. But for anyone who maybe didn't catch it or was not here last night, the simplest picture, the Lord is sworn, the Hebrew word means to say it seven times. Seven times. And I merely observed if God says it once, it's right. Once is enough. But to say something seven times, you see God putting His authority. The Lord has sworn. The Lord has sworn. You can't get any higher than that. Whatever God the Father, the Lord is doing, it is of ultra importance to Him. And I figure if it's of ultra importance to Him, we may not know it, but it's of ultra-importance to His people as well. The Lord has sworn. But then it doubles up. Look, look, verse 1. And will not repent. He will not repent. And I guess you could say, well, Brother Bagwell, of course God's not going to repent. And yet He does many a time. Throughout Scripture. I love the book of Jonah. The reluctant prophet. God said, go to Nineveh. Preach to the Ninevites. And this is what I want you to say. Yet 40 days and you'll be destroyed. God's going to overturn this city. Got 40 days. 
Jonah wasn't excited about going to Nineveh. God said, go east, and Jonah said, I'm going west. To get to Nineveh, you walk. Jonah said, I'm taking a boat somewhere. He's not going to do what God said do. You know why? Now, like I know I'm going to defend it. I think this is why. The Ninevites, capital of Assyria, they have raided Jonah's hometown. He's from, he's from up north in Israel. They have raided his hometown. They have attacked. The Ninevites, when they conquered a city-state or they conquered a people, they would take the captives, dip them in boiling hot oil, immerse them, pull them back out, and pull off a layer of skin. Do it again. Get another layer. They tortured their enemies to death. And Jonah's not ignorant of that fact. God said, go tell them they're going to be destroyed. Jonah said, I'm not going to do it. Because I know God. He said he's going to destroy them. But if those rascals repent, if those rascals should get right, God will go back. God will forgive them. God will love them. God will extend them grace. I think Jonah said, I can't take the risk. <laughs> I'm not going. And Jonah preached, and the king fell under conviction. They repented in sackcloth and ashes, and I'll declare, God repented. I'll not destroy them. I will spare. And it made Jonah so mad he couldn't see straight. He said, I knew you was going to do it. I told you. That's why I didn't want to come. God repented. We all better be glad God repents in that sense. But here, I will now take my mind about Nineveh. They met the requirements for, for repentance, but I will not. Jesus is high priest, Amen. and I will not repent. It sort of sounds like Jesus has got that office for good. Amen. High priest forever, we learn elsewhere. Must be important. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let, did I mention this? I may have one night. The idea of priesthood. A priest is someone who intermeddles. Did I use that word? In the lives of others. Your high priest, as it were, put your hand in me a hymnal, uh, if you would, just for illustration purposes. Here's what a high priest does. The word intercession gives it away. He, watch the book, drops in on your life when you're in need. He ever liveth to make, it's a big book, intercession for you. Intercession Latin, to cut in on, to cut in. I'm going to say something and see how y'all like he can cut in on me any time he wants to. He's the invited guest. Doesn't have to schedule a thing. 
thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We need to talk about, of course, uh, Melchizedek. Bottom line here, somebody smile at me. Somebody say amen. He's praying for us. He is strengthening us. He is burdened today for our welfare. A lot of times the churches emphasize numbers to the exclusion of it. They'll want to win a soul and thank God for that. I'm not again. And then they'll forget about them. No follow-up. Did I give you some good news? He didn't just save you and forget about you. Amen. <laughs> he didn't just save you and ascend to heaven. Now he's occupied with other things. He's still got you and me on his mind and on his heart. Thou art a high priest forever. That doesn't speak real well of us. I guess I'll need one forever interceding for me. But after the order of Melchizedek, and I guarantee you the question, <clears throat> first question anybody's got about Melchizedek is, uh, who is he? Who is he? <clears throat> I don't care who it is. Nobody can absolutely answer that question. Right. I'm going to share what the way Brother Bagel sees it, the way I'm... The question, is he a Christophany? Is he an Old Testament appearance of Jesus? I think not personally. A priest has got to be a man. He's got to be a man. He's got to identify with humanity in order to represent humanity to God. I believe Melchizedek was a man. Well, now, wait a minute, preacher. Without father, without mother, without the beginning of days, simply means he did not have a recorded father or mother. There is no recording event of his birth or his death. I believe he was a Gentile. I mean, first time you meet him is in Genesis chapter number 14. Oh, boy. See, here we go again. It is the first war recorded in the Bible. The first one. And today we're fixing to study the last war recorded in the Bible. Abraham has gathered together his servants, trained them for war. He had 317 servants. And they went and rescued Lot from a crowd of rebels who had uh, taken Lot, kidnapped Abraham, and they're bringing the spoils of war back. And uh, Abraham could have been a, an ultra wealthy man right there. He didn't want them. He didn't want, he'll give those to the kings who had been wronged in the battle. Then right there in the middle of it all, bap, there he comes. No father, no mother, no record. Melchizedek. Melchizedek is simply going to bless Abraham. Luke, if I remember right, he served him bread and wine, something Hebrews does not mention, preacher, by the way. And uh, as he blesses Abraham, Abraham pays tithes. He doesn't know anything. It's all going back to those. Pays tithes to Melchizedek. Let me tell you what Melchizedek means. Mel, Melik in Hebrew means king. 
That sedek part ends up being the word shalom. Melchizedek, it means peace. Peace. Zadik, Zadik in Hebrew has the idea of righteousness. And then we are told he is king of Salem. There's one. He's a king. He's a righteous king. And he is a man of peace. He is a picture. He is an emblem of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who will come today, Sunday, and be our high priest. And uh, Jesus is not a high priest after the order of Aaron. Right. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised he would have never been a high priest after the order of Aaron, after Aaron made that golden calf that day. Led Israel in idolatry. That probably wiped that boy off the list. Jesus will be a high priest after a different order. And by the way, Melchizedek is before the law. Right. Long before the law. Right. Jesus. My hyper, now let me preach about Jesus with those thoughts in mind. Does anybody believe he's the righteous one? Yes, sir. Amen. Does anybody believe he's the king of kings? Yes, sir. Anybody believe he's the one who's the author of peace? Who gives us peace? Yes, My peace give unto you. Not as the world giveth give unto Let not your heart be troubled. But Jesus meets every, every criteria. He is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I would not be surprised that he's called your name in prayer already today. And if he hadn't, he'll get to you. I guess that's a lot of names. He will be praying for you and for me today. Preacher, I said it the other night, but for the benefit of those that may not have heard it, um, I think we give ourselves too much credit sometimes. Right. Well, I've been faithful. I hadn't sold out. I'm hanging on to that old Bible right there. Thank God you are. But I think the reason you've been faithful is somebody's been praying you'll be faithful. Amen. Somebody's been praying you'll not compromise. We are what we are by the grace of God, and we are what we are because God answers His Son's prayers. Even at the grave of Lazarus, John, only John tells us about it. Lazarus been here. Jesus didn't pray. I thought he would say, Father, this is a tough one. Been dead four days. Lord, everybody's watching now. Do, do, uh, give me, uh, raise him. He said, Father, not in the sense of, I thank you that you hear me and everything I ask. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. Three words, and he came out of the grave. Jesus, as God, does not pray, but now at the right hand of the throne of God, he does nothing but pray for you and for me. We are saved, Romans 5, 10, by his life, by his life. You all are being so respectful and so kind and listening and, and nodding and smiling at me today. I wouldn't, I keep saying I wouldn't be surprised this morning. I'll drop that and you won't hear it again. Uh, I, I think he might have nodded a time or two. I think he might have smiled a little bit. I sort of think I might have heard a heavenly amen a little while ago. Our great high priest. Look at, look at verse 5, Psalm 110, verse 5. He's not only my great high priest. Oh, sit at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Till I make thine enemies thy footstool. 
I'm going to see if I can find a verse. I, I, I know it's in Hebrews. I know it's in chapter 10. Someone scour Hebrews 10 and uh, look for the word expecting. It's mid-chapter. Expecting. Somewhere around 10, 12, 13, 14, I believe. Verse 13. Okay. Well, will these chairs move? Can I unhook one and move it, or is it already? Excuse me. Should have thought of it before, I guess. <laughs> Jesus sitting at the Father's right hand. He didn't retire when he ascended. One fellow had the idea he's probably basking in the glory of God. Now, I don't deny that, but that's not all he's doing. He's praying for you. Luke, you didn't get to hear. He prayed for Peter before the devil attacked Peter. Jesus knew it was coming. If you're facing a battle next week, a trial or a temptation, he may be praying for you right now right. that your faith will not fail. Does that encourage y'all? Amen, Lord. Amen. That your faith will stay strong, that God will help you through the battle. But I learn in that 13th verse. Preacher, read it real loud. 12 and 13, real loud. But this man, after oh, 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 that's Jesus. This man. Go ahead, preacher. Sacrifice. Whoa, one sacrifice. Aaron had to offer a sacrifice every day of atonement. Those, those normal priests had to offer a sacrifice every morning, every night, every day. But when Jesus died, I'm going to need an amen. One sacrifice was enough for all time. Amen. Go ahead, preacher. One sacrifice for sins forever. <laughs> forever. Go ahead. expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Now, I'm not saying the Lord's doing exactly this, but I've got a habit of doing it. <laughs> I was about to do it a minute ago. I didn't know Luke was going to sing, and I enjoyed the song and everything. But I was ready to preach. As a fellow I preach for, <clears throat> not far from the house, every year, have ever since he's been at the church, if 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 God's blessing, if I'm on target, his, he sits on that front row. Now, it scares me to death when that knee gets. When that, I thought, oh my, I must have missed something or I said something. That Jesus is it, that word expecting. It's decomai. It is a verb that means anxiously, joyfully, sort of I can't wait kind of a till he till he can make his enemies. His footstool. Could I make an announcement and get any agreement at all? He's coming again. Amen. Coming back. Let's look at it. Verse number, verse number five. And no, we're not going to spend as long on verse five as we did verse four. The Lord willing. I've lost my place in Psalm 110. I'll do it this way. The Lord... At thy right hand, 
shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Can I, can I do something, and I hope it doesn't sound like repetition. I want you to turn this time. I've quoted it, but I want you to turn to Revelation 19 just a moment, if you will. And, and, and if that's, you'd rather not, I'll read it to you. Revelation chapter 19. And in the back of your mind, keep verse 5. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Revelation 19, about verse 11. Verse 11. Y'all got it? Everybody there? I saw heaven opened. John's on the island of Patmos. Behold, preacher, that's a strong word. Behold a white horse. And he that sat on him was called faithful and true. Is that a big F? A big T? Yes, sir. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes are as a flame of fire. Many crowns, oh, I'd love to talk about, diadems on his head. He had a name written. Nobody knew it but he himself. He is clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Steve, it's Jesus coming back again. Riding that white horse of victory. Hey, preacher, tell me. Hey, y'all tell me. A vesture dipped in blood. Is that the blood from Calvary, which is past tense blood? Or is that the blood at Armageddon to which he is riding to inflict upon the heathen nations of the world? I wonder. I do not know. I wonder. His vesture is dipped in blood. Wow. His name is called, his name is called the Word of God. Watch this, verse 14. The armies which were in heaven followed him. The armies which were in heaven followed him on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I, I, would you look at me just a second, and then we're going to keep. Those armies in heaven got to be, can be the angelic armies, I guess, but it's got to include us New Testament saints who have been raptured. We're coming back with him. So shall you ever be with the Lord. Verse 15, out of his mouth, this is little meek, mild Jesus, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword with it. He should smite the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of almighty God. He hath on his vesture, in case you don't know yet, he hath on his vesture, on his thigh, a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. And I saw an angel, talk about vultures, getting invited to supper, say, saying to all the fowls that fly into heaven, come, gather yourselves to the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, captains, mighty men, horses. And, and uh, verse 19, I saw the beast. That's the Antichrist. 
the kings of the earth, their armies gathered to make war against them. Preacher, they gathered to attack Israel, to destroy, but they see him coming. They're making war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. That's a bad move right there. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles, which deceived the, these were cast alive, these were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth and the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's the fulfillment. That's the fulfillment of verse 5. I just read in Psalm 110. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his right. And I want to say something. If America wants to fight Israel, turn against Israel, turn against, and against everything God represents, America will go down with the rest of that crowd when the day comes. God's no respecter of persons. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall judge among the heathen. Y'all know when Jesus gets here, how many of you believe this? I mean, it's, it's clear. The Father hath committed to the Son all judgment. Yes, sir. If you see the judge, it's Jesus. Right. It says he will judge. Didn't it say the heathen and the word heathen there? Goy, it's nations. He will judge the nations of the world. Oh, there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ. We're going to stand before him. There's going to be a great white throne judgment, Revelation 20. Lost people will be judged there. But there's going to be a judgment of the nations. He'll sit on his throne. The nations who have despised Israel, hated Israel, goats, goats. The handful, the few who have been her friend, sheep. Preacher, I believe that's the criteria for those that will enter the millennium and those that will be destroyed. Jesus, one of these days, talk about the United Nations. There really is no such thing. A league of nations, that failed too. But Jesus will judge all the nations of the world. You say, Brother Bagwell, you got any scripture for that? Well, I hope so. <laughs> Matthew chapter 25 is your go-to chapter for the judgment, inasmuch as you've done it under the one of the least of these, my brethren, Jews, you have done it unto me, Jesus. There it is. In, in verse 6, he will judge among the heathen. He'll fill the places with dead bodies. Y'all realize this is never preached in liberal churches. They don't preach a judge. He will fill the places with dead bodies. Some of y'all look a little shocked, and I love you to death. <laughs> That's my Lord. Preacher, go to Revelation 14 and find that blood flowing to the horse's bridles. It's on toward the end of the chapter. Uh, Revelation 14. It's Armageddon again. The battle of Armageddon. So many, so many soldiers. Uh, the Valley of Megiddo. There in the Holy Land, so many, so many deaths occur. You got it, preacher, what verse? Look at 18. 
Another angel came, he, he cried with a loud voice, thrust in thy sickle, gather the clusters, and I make it clear, Revelation 14, the angel thrust in uh, 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 the sickle, uh, and uh, the wine press, 20, verse 20, and blood came out of the wine press, blood, blood, even to the horse's bridles, by the space of a thousand, six, about 200 miles, blood flowing as deep as the horse's bridles. That's a lot of death. That's a, those are a, that's a lot of dead bodies. You know what a liberal said the other day? He said, well, maybe it's as deep as the horse's bridles, but they were dead. They were laying on the ground. It's not a lot of blood. Doesn't say that. The horse's bridles. That's verse number six. He shall wound the heads over many countries. I love, see, now, he's not only my high priest, now his expectation has been, son, son, it's time, it's time to return. Rides that white horse out of glory, interrupts that battle of Armageddon. He will wound the heads. What? I'd say something, but you ladies have head crushing time right there. He will wound the head. You say, ah, you, uh, that can't be my Genesis 3.15. He will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. He will crush the head of the Antichrist. Look at, look at verse 7. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Oh, Bonnie, I like it. Here he is conquering on the right and conquering on the left. He's defeating another nation. He's overcoming another power. And he gets a little thirsty. He doesn't quit. He, he just, he drinks of the brook in the way. And he charges right back into battle. And that brook, oh my. Anybody know how long I've been talking, speaking? Does anybody, can somebody give me an estimate? I can't read the clock back there. I see one. But about 45 minutes, something like that, roughly, give or take. But it is Saturday. Amen. <laughs> um, he had some refreshment earlier in the psalm. Where's the word dew? Oh, yeah, it's in verse 3. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. This is Jesus in a picture, a setting of refreshment. And now he'll drink of the brook. By the way, y'all remember that God uttered and then what God's going to do? And then the refreshment. He's getting a little refreshment of the brook in the way. Luke, watch this. If, it, if it's too uh, spiritualized, just throw it out. Or you don't have to throw First of all, he was refreshed by the dew. That's the Holy Ghost. Dew in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Uh, wish I had time to talk about that. Uh, I'll give you, I'll just give you one quick thought. When the manna fell from heaven, the manna never fell until the dew came first. The manna fell on the dew. The manna can be the Word of God. 
The Word of God's falling today. If I don't stand up here and think we'll read it, the Word of God's falling today. But it won't do you a bit of good unless it falls on the dew. Unless the, say it, unless the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is present to teach us and to interpret. The dew, Jesus being refreshed by the Holy Ghost, drinking of the brook, that's the water of the Word. Jesus being refreshed by the Word of God. Where did he get his strength? Where did he get his power? Of course, all powers from, but where, he, he, the Holy Ghost and the Word of God, can I get an amen? And that still works today. Amen. We still amen. can draw our strength and get our refreshment from the Word of God. And, and this may or may not interest you. I don't think I could leave it out. This ties into a little... He shall drink of the brook in the way. Ties in a little bit to the Song of Solomon. Some of those beautiful pictures of our Savior. And uh, in the Song of Solomon, he also takes a sip. He drinks of the brook in the way. It's a picture of the little deer. And uh, the, it's what I read bless me so much, and it came from a Puritan uh, of, of all sources, said, Dear, their mortal enemy, snakes. Deer and snakes don't get along. Deer's a type of Christ. Now, keep that in mind, if you will. And, and there's a whole... And uh, they said, A deer gets the thirstiest when he has just killed a snake said it'll paw it, it'll grind it into the ground, and somehow in the process it just gets thirstier and thirstier. And, th and here's Jesus, real thirsty, Amen. wanting to get a, a, a drink from the brook. Wonder why? He just killed the snake. Amen. He just overcame the devil. He Amen. just defeated the serpent. Hallelujah. He, he shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore shall he, he drinks of that brook, and then it's back to war. He will lift up his head and continue to defeat the enemy that has risen up against the holiness of God. Can I show you one more? I will quit. Look at Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. I thought of it early this morning. Uh, yes, Isaiah 63. I'm just going to read first little bit of it there, if you'll fo follow with me. Or, or, or listen. Who is this? Somebody's coming. Who is this that cometh from Edom? Dyed garments of Basra. Preacher probably dyed red, blood red. It's Jesus. He's mopping up the enemy. He's on that final cleansing campaign, coming up from down south, Jew haters to the core. And, uh, and uh, who is it? Oh, he's glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why are you red in your apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? Grape blood. 
I have trodden the wine press alone, preacher. That's not Gethsemane, I think. That's the Lord defeating the enemy when he comes back again. And uh, all the power, uh, for I will tread them in my anger. I'll trample them in my fury. Their blood will be sprinkled on my garments, and I will stain all my raiment, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. He's saving Israel. Hallelujah. It's all the way through the Bible. My great high priest, I hope you won't forget the picture. Oh, maybe today, maybe you'll cut me loose today. Maybe you'll let me go today. And you'll trust it in the hands of his father. And when he comes back, if you'll say amen, I'll quit. He will make all of his enemies his footstool. Just like, would you think there could be that much in seven verses. And the preacher was right. We've, we haven't scratched the surface. We've not begun to study the beauty of Psalm 110. A fashionable preacher sometime back was heard to say, he'd preach 15 minutes, and he said, now that I have exhausted my text, now that I have exhausted in 15 minutes, now that I I want to make an announcement. No human being has ever exhausted any text in the Word of God. And we're not about to. Too deep, too broad, too tough. Psalm 119, thy commandment is exceeding broad, O Lord. But now that we have maybe scratched the surface, I'm glad he's my king. I'm glad he's my priest. I'm glad he's returning someday. We're going to get to come back with him. I said, if you'd, if you'd say amen. We get in trouble, statements like that. He's king priest. Will I get an amen? We're going to be like him. Amen. Holy Ghost is transforming us now into the image of Revelation 1.5. We are also kings and priests through him. We're going to get to co-reign. We're going to get... If that's literal, and I believe it is, during the millennium, if I get to help him a little bit, I'm going to ask him to let me run CNN. <laughs> I may not get it, but that's what I'm putting in for. I'm going to straighten that crowd out right there. I guess they'll be gone. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, my Thank you, you are prayer. Thank you, you are king. Thank you, you are our great high priest. Thank you, you are coming again. We glorify you for that. Thank, we're thankful to you, Lord, that you're coming again victorious. Victorious. Hallelujah for the Savior. You may lift your heads. You may open your eyes. After he's drunk from the brook preacher, he'll lift up his head. You know what a thought? It's in Luke. Y'all, lift up your heads. Our redemption. Draw, I lift up my head because he lifted up his head. In fact, he is the 
The psalmist said, the lifter up of my head, I praise him. I cannot tell y'all how much I've enjoyed these three services in Psalm 110. Been a blessing. I love you. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Yeah.